Good morning, everybody. My name is Sandy. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, I like doing these sitting down. My old legs are just getting wobbly, so the more I can sit, the better it is. I hope everybody can see all right. I enjoy doing workshops more than telling my story, and I enjoy answering questions more than doing workshops. So someday we're just going to have an ask-it basket go around and... uh, I'll just spend the hour because it's so challenging. You think you've heard them all over over the years, and then <laughs> and and fortunately, a very good answer is I don't know. Anyway, the um, this little phrase, uh, "the spiritual life is not a theory; we have to live it." Is um, I've seen it used at, as themes at conferences. It's something that everybody seems to know. And um, while it appears in the um, ninth step, almost near the end, it's sort of applicable to the whole AA program, that um, this has to be lived. And so that's what I wanted to talk about. And the way I was going to start it out was by uh, going back in time. And you wouldn't have to go back that far, really, probably 50 years. And in many, many towns and small cities, there was only one meeting a week. One meeting a week. And the same number percentage of staying sober with just one meeting a week. And so when you think back on it, God, how do you stay sober with just one meeting a week? Well, you really look forward to the meeting. (laughs) You know, if you stop you on the street, you would go, it's three days and four hours until the meeting. So it would be a pretty big deal. And then you might find a couple members of the group and halfway through the meeting of the week, meet them for coffee somewhere. So you could get a little shot in the arm of togetherness. And um, what you really did was pray like hell. That was an essential part of the program, was just praying like hell. So we fast forward today, and certainly that's not the case today. We've got 8 a.m. meetings, 6 a.m. meetings, noon meetings, 545 meetings, 7 o'clock meetings, midnight meetings, women's meetings, gay meetings, young people's meetings, workshops. We have CDs. We have texting. We have cell phones. We have such a prof- and uh, conferences. We have such a profound um, support system. You don't have to hardly pray at all. (laughs) So there's a little bit of bad news in the good news. That it's possible to kind of just keep being carried along one day at a time and never really have the spiritual life become a part of your life. You're around it. You absorb some of the energy from it. It's it's nice. And as the sixth step says, we settle for as much perfection as will get us by. 
And unfortunately, we've, I don't know who started it, but we've come to um, measure our program in terms of sobriety. Sobriety is merely not drinking. And it's not the purpose of the program. It's a necessary part of it. You have to, just like breathing, it would be hard to get a lot of years of sobriety if you stop breathing. <laughs> but breathing isn't the point of the whole thing, right? So it's hard to be, get a lot of years of sobriety without stopping drinking. But drinking, stopping drinking isn't the point of it. I mean, if you want to get some sobriety, punch a cop. You'll have you'll have thirty days sobriety just like that, <laughs> and you could get out of jail. Going sobriety's the name of the game. Look at me, I'm I'm doing the deal, and just keep punching them, and you can probably get a year. <laughs> so my point is, I disagree strongly that sobriety's the name of the game. It's a, it's a nice term, and we measure our anniversaries and so on down. But it misleads people into thinking that as long as you're not pouring alcohol in your system, you're getting out of AA everything it has to offer. After all, I'm sober. After all, I'm sober. And we, we know that um, when we hear Al-Anon talks that the illusion is that once the alcohol is out of the system, everything's going to be fine. And then we find out that we're still self-centered and really hard people to get along with, even though there's no alcohol in our system. So it really didn't fix anything. The removal of alcohol, um, Clancy talks about, says what it does is slowly make the problem worse until you're either going to commit suicide or pick up a drink. So, so the name of the game in, in um, Alcoholics Anonymous is what it says in the 12th step. It says this is the one target that we're after of spiritual awakening. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result. So when I sponsor people, I guarantee them a spiritual awakening. That's the first thing I tell them. I said that... You are going to have a spiritual awakening. There's, don't worry about it. It's going to happen. And I think it has a tremendous effect on them. They just go, great. I mean, it, it was almost like, really? And it always happens. doesn't happen the same time with every single person. But there comes a time when they suddenly become aware that there's something going on that they weren't aware of before. In the old days in hotels, they used to have reading rooms, big fancy rooms with overstuffed chairs, and there was plenty of books. And so if you were meeting somebody, you could go into the reading room, get a book, and sit in one of these big chairs and read and kill some time waiting for someone. And often you could go in there and look around and see that it was empty. And you get your book and you sit down, and after about 20 minutes, you suddenly realize you're not alone in that room. Something comes over you that tells you, there's somebody else in here. And then you get up and look around. My God, there is a guy in that deep chair over there that you didn't notice. 
So the first 20 minutes, you were alone, and then you became aware that there was someone else there. So we all know what it is to suddenly become aware of something. And this is what spirituality is like, is to become aware of something you weren't aware of before. And when that happens, you want to really pay attention to that, if you're new. Don't dismiss it as indigestion. (laughs) Or coincidence, or, you know, because our self-esteem is so low, we go, well, God wouldn't do something nice for me like this, so this must be the hot dog I ate. And um, I'm not really experiencing something at a different level. Yes, you are. And you need to be told that to, to go with it. Just like Bill was told by Dr. Silkworth, this is not something, um, you know, due to the bad medicine. This is something I see in you that is remarkably different than you've ever been. And I would go with it. And I think that was an important thing to happen, that Bill was reassured that he wasn't hallucinating, you know, that this was not some strange thing, that he really could believe what had happened to him. And, of course, his transformation occurred in a very short moment. And most of ours occurs over a period of time. And um, the funny thing is, even though it occurs over a period of time, in other words, it takes six months or something like that, when it does happen, it happens suddenly. It just, after six months, you suddenly realize, wow, God is helping me. I was contacted. I had something personal that I experienced, and I'm now aware of it. And so we have to talk about these things so when they happen, you don't dismiss it as something, oh, I wonder what that was. Because this is what we want to develop, is the furthering of that feeling, that awareness, that experience that we have. Whenever I think of um, how AA got started... I think of the prayer that started AA. And if those of you that are new, <laughs> you haven't heard the prayer. It's not a prayer you would hear in any church. Uh, let me assure you of that. This prayer did not come from any religion. Because the prayer begins with, if there is a God. How, now, why would a person say a prayer like that? That's a prayer of desperation. That's a prayer of someone who doesn't really believe in God, but there's nowhere else to go. And somebody else told them that it helped them. And so they just, in this pure, hopeless situation, they just went, if there is a God, they just got an open mind. They just became willing to try something that their intellect told them not to try. It doesn't exist. Let him show himself to me. And in that instant, I call that the Big Bang of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was a singular event. 
Up until that moment, there was no hope for any alcoholics in the world. They were going to either die or be locked up um, or get shot or be in jail forever or in a uh, mental institution. After that millisecond, there was hope for every alcoholic on the planet. All in that millisecond. Because not only did Bill Wilson get set free from his obsession with alcohol, he was consumed with passing that experience on to all the rest of the alcoholics. He wasn't passing on sobriety. He was passing on this unbelievable experience that he had. That's what was inside of him. That was the fire that made him go through all the hell that he and Lois went through in those early years to make sure that you and I would have the same experience that he had, which is a lot different than not drinking. So that's the point I'm trying to make is that this is what is supposed to happen when you come to AA. You're supposed to be led towards that experience, that life-changing, life-transforming experience. And built into the experience, and once you have it, you won't be able to stop passing it on. Nobody will have to tell you to go get somebody to sponsor. You won't be able to stop yourself. It'll be part of your nature. You'll be so excited And then you have the privilege of seeing that experience happen to someone else. When you watch their eyes light up and they suddenly are talking about God from an experience point of view. And and they're so hesitant at first because they never used the word. And it's coming out of their mouths now. And they're saying, well, this this thing happened. And God somehow came into my life and I felt it. And it's this and that. And now you know that the 12th step has occurred, that this one result has happened in this person. You can't miss it. Um, There are many ways of describing the human condition. I mean, philosophers and religions and spiritual programs have described this, and I have never had a more comfortable relationship. The only way to describe spirituality is with stories, because we're trying to describe the indescribable. We're trying to describe an absolute mystery. Matter of fact, Bill called AA an utter simplicity, which in case is a complete mystery. It's a fascinating description of AA. And so it's so simple, and yet it's a total mystery. And it is. There's, we can't, AA can't answer questions that other organizations can answer. They can't even answer how many members they have. <laughs> they can't answer questions like, when people come to AA, how do you know which ones are going to stay sober? Oh, I don't know. After they've been here a while, how do you tell which ones are going to continue to stay? I don't know. I haven't got a clue. Everything's a mystery. 
And so the only way to describe this is with stories. So when you open the big book, what does it say right in the very beginning? The story of how a hundred men and women got sober. And what's right in the very beginning, almost the first chapter? Bill's story. And what's in the back of the book? 25 stories or whatever it is. So stories is the only way we can communicate with each other about spirituality. So getting back to the story that I identify with is the prodigal son. I feel that that was my journey, that I started arriving here on planet Earth. And in that moment, I was separated from my creator because my ego started developing and started looking around. I, I think it happened. I had, we had six kids. I think it happened somewhere around a year and a half or something like that. Up until that point, you can go in and you can hand a baby a rattle to play with. Oh, yeah, that's a lot of fun. And you take that away and give them something, a little doll or whatever. Oh, yeah, that's fun. Then you take that away and give them this. One day you go to take it away and they go, mine. Ooh. What the hell was that? <laughs> that was when we suddenly became aware of, I'm a separate person from everything. And that begins separation. Conscious separation that Chuck Chamberlain talks so eloquently about. And we begin the journey furthering the separation. Alcoholics take the separation out to where the, if there's a rubber band holding this thing together, it's at the breaking point. We get so far away from our creator. And I think we're given clues early on. It's not like it's a mystery. Many of us had church education. We had we heard about this, and we we heard that um, human beings are mental, physical, and spiritual, and you must nourish your spiritual side. You must. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when you look at it, it doesn't look that way. When you look at it from yourself, you just go, "I don't get that." It's so clear. Money. That's what you need. Freaking money. You know, look around. Don't you see it? It's obvious. How many people just, yeah, that is, it is obvious. And we forget that the money has a warning label on it. It says, in God we trust. (laughs) Don't trust this hundred dollar bill. Look what it says. We don't pay any attention to that. We got the hundred dollar bill, man, and we got, or whatever it is. Sex, security, and society, and power, and all of that. And I think it's impossible to not become self-centered. How could you not be self-centered as you start your journey? I call it the prodigal son, prodigal daughter journey, of journey away from being united with your creator 
<clears throat> into an illusion that you exist as a separate person. When you stand in your backyard and you look around, <clears throat> you look over there and there's where the woods are, and then you turn over here and there's the neighbor's farm, and then you turn over this way and that goes into town, and then you turn over this way, there's the mountains. What's at the center of it all? Me. I mean, every time you turn around, you're at the center of it. I mean, how the hell could you not be the center? It's the most natural thing in the world is to assume that you're the center of all things that are going on. I don't know anybody that didn't fall for that. (laughs) How the hell are you going to not fall for it? You know, you hear you might go to church and say, you're not the center of everything. Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) If you were inside of me, you wouldn't listen to that. You'd go, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, just think back when they all thought that the earth was the center of the solar system. Even though the scientists started going, hey, you know, there's a few clues out here that would indicate that perhaps we're not the center. And what do you think all the powers that be were going? It has to be the center. I live here. (laughs) That's what really drove it to be the center. I live here. I don't live in Pluto. Well, eventually they found the sun was it, and they had to tear up all the maps. They had to start all over again. But when they did, they had the truth. And now everything worked. Everything became the way it really is. And then science and spirituality could live in harmony. And the same thing happens when we reach the end and realize that self-centeredness really is the heart of our problems. So what self-centeredness is, a perception. It's what it looks like when you open your eyes. You look around, (laughs) you're the center. I mean, I don't need any more evidence than that. So you can't blame anyone for acting self-centeredly. It's as natural as can be. And so I am, since I'm not part of anything... It's just me versus all of you. I have to see you as competitors. You could, when you get something, that means there's less for me. And so I'm, 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 you know, I remember at work when somebody would get promoted. I would go. (laughs) And I'm going. You know, they promoted the wrong person. Why, why should she get it and I didn't? You know, so there was that. But inside, and isn't it so different? After you've been in AA a while, you are genuinely thrilled that the other person got promoted. You just love it. They worked hard. They deserve it. And you no longer worry that there's a finite supply that could be used up because you understand that there's infinite supply. 
coming from God, so it doesn't matter how much anybody else gets. You're going to be taken care of. You're going to be fine. There's nothing to worry about. So we're suckered into this journey, which I just love that. It's sort of the journey away from conscious contact into an extent of separation that becomes unbearable. And alcoholics are especially vulnerable. I mean, the non-alcoholics experience the same thing, and many of them call it the midlife crisis. They suddenly realize, I've been following the rules of the material world, and they told me if I study hard, then I'll get good grades, then I'll get promoted, and then I'll get into a good little high school, then I'll get into a good little college, I'll study this, that'll give me a good job, then I get a good job, then I'll get some money, then I'll have a little family, and then we can have a little house, and then we can have a, even a boat, and then, with that, and then I'll be happy. And boy, we just start down that road, and then you get there and you're standing on your yacht thinking of suicide. <laughs> And you start going, somebody sold me a bill of goods here that, that where is the happiness? Where's the peace? Where's the understanding of it? Where, I don't see it. Here's this stupid yacht. It's, and materialism suddenly blows up in their face and they may become seekers themselves. But the alcoholics don't go through that process because we found a shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> we found a shortcut to growing up, going through pain, emotional pain, and the trials of relationships, whatever. We just went, okay. So that put us further away. And we became so obsessed with alcohol as the solution. It almost was a spiritual experience when many alcoholics drank. It gave the sense that this connection had been reestablished that we lost when we were arrived here a year and a half or whatever it was, that we are now reunited. We're complete again. We're not fragmented. And then you wake up in the morning <laughs> with dry heaves, I can't remember the name. Oh, oh. But there's an obsession that says, this time, it'll be different. This time, I'm going to make the connection. I'm going to be fine. And we are just so consumed with the sense that alcohol holds all the answers. And so that takes us even further. And so we get to the point that is the greatest gift that human beings have, that William James wrote about when he did the varieties of religious experience, which I, it's hard for me to believe that Bill read that while he was in Towns Hospital. I tried to read it when I had eight years, and I went, oh, my God, this is so far over my head, I, you know, I think after 20 years, I said, sit down and read the damn thing. And so I stayed with it with all the different languages and all the footnotes. And I finally understood what a wonderful job William James had done um, in examining 
what he called the most important phenomenon that happens to mankind. Spiritual awakenings. Where people are transformed to a different level than they were at. And as he examined them all around the world, he found that they all had one thing in common. They only happened to desperate people. They are at the absolute bottom and they're willing to surrender at a level they weren't willing to do before. It's as if the ego got a crack in it. It just got punctured enough for the daylight to come in. Because when we build a self-centered world, the building material are thoughts. That's the world that we live in. Don't trust them. Watch out for that. You know, what all these things. I'm a piece of crap, but don't let anybody find out. So I'm going to have to do it. And that's the world. And um, we like it in there because we're the only one there and we're in charge. Anything goes. We're king. King, king of the, it's my kingdom. My kingdom is my self-centeredness, my little separate identity, my separate world. And uh, as they say, if you would like to enter the kingdom of your higher power, you're going to have to abandon your kingdom. Oh, I can't bring it with me? No, you can't bring it with you. Oh, could I just keep Rhode Island? No, you can't keep Rhode Island. <laughs> you, can't, you can't keep any of it. You have to give up your entire kingdom. Oh, <laughs> You have to give up your right to yourself. Not many takers on that one. You've got to give up your right to yourself. No, you're not going to see me do it. Well, now you're in the nut ward for the 31st time. And you're going through the DTs for the 31st time. And you come out of it. And you go, I give up the right to myself. There was the crack. And when that crack is there, that's when we want the AA message to be there. Because it doesn't stay open that long. You don't stay open to turning your life over to someone else that long. Because as physical health returns, so does the sense that you can take care of yourself. I overreacted. In treatment. I shouldn't have waved the white handkerchief when I did. Because as I look at it now, I don't need any damn help at all. <laughs> so you can see how crucial this surrender is and how we have to take advantage of it as a sponsor and how we have to spend as much time as it takes on that first step to convince the person that they haven't a chance if they continue to manage their own life. You will fail. You're going to die. You're going to do, you, and just keep going and going until they go, okay, I'm willing to give up my right to myself. And I'm going to turn it all over 
initially to my sponsor, my home group, whatever it is. And as I said last night, our only job is to evaluate the results. That's the real point of um, a spiritual journey. Don't figure it out. Experience it and just enjoy the results. Enjoy the story as it unfolds. Because we're starting a new story. We get to start all over again. That story, when we finally had the surrender in depth, was the end of one story and the beginning of an entirely new story that you don't even know about yet. You have no idea that this is going to take you to places that you didn't know existed. It's going to give you perspectives and perceptions that you didn't know existed. And all you have to do is accept it and embrace it. You don't create it. You don't think it up. You simply experience it. What a deal that is. It's all been laid out, waiting for you to take. So, when it says the spiritual life is not a theory, we have to live it. Well, what the hell do we have to do? (laughs) And it's a program of action. I've always liked that. So, what's the big action verb? I mean, the real action verb in spirituality. It's the one that really requires such intense work. It's called letting go. (laughs) It's like, okay, you ready? Except no one knows how to do that. They know how to do this. What's in here? None of your business. (laughs) I let go of drinking. What about the rest of it? I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. So you can see that it really centers as time goes on in steps six and seven. We're entirely ready to have God remove all the defects of character. <laughs> to have him take away from us our entire kingdom. Take away everything that we want to stay in charge of. <laughs> you know, I, I just came here to stop drinking. And I think I've told this story many times. After I'd been sober about three months, my sponsor and I were at the Quantico Marine Base, and he wasn't too far away from me, and he knew that I was so broke that I was taking money out of petty cash in the office. And so he called me on it, and he said, you know, that's not just taking money, that's embezzlement. That's a federal crime. You can't just reach in and just take some government money. You have to put it back, and you can't do that anymore. And I remember going home that night, and I said, So, there's two parts to the AA program. No drinking, no embezzling. Okay. 
Okay. I'll go along with that. Two parts to the AA program. Then he noticed that I liked to flirt with the women Marines that were around the offices, etc. there at Quantico. And, and he uh, came up and talked to me. He says, you know, if you're going to have a spiritual life and you're going to have a good marriage, you can't be flirting with women. And I, I did the same thing. I said, oh, so it's three-part program. There's no... Drinking, embezzling, or flirting. Well, every week he had another one. And another one. And another one. And another one. It just went on endlessly. We're entirely ready to have God remove all. All. I said, the way I saw myself, I was my character defects. That was who I was. And if you took them all away, I would be, my favorite spiritual term, the hole in the donut. Out of step three in the 12 and 12. I would be a non-entity. What is a non-entity? It's a very spiritual person. They have no identity of their own. They are simply an instrument of their higher power. That's the absolute simplicity of a spiritual way of life. Who wants to give up your own personal identity? I mean, you know, it's like a resume. We put on a resume. What do you put on a resume anyway? You put stuff that will impress people so they'll pay you more money. You just write and I also took a course on this, and then I did this, and then I did that. This is me. Speak a language. Took this course. All added up. And it's almost a document of entitlement. This entitles me to be at this level. This When you finish your spiritual program, your resume gets transformed into where you can be useful. These are the skills that I have that can add to your office. These are the skills that I have that can allow me to help the other employees, to allow me to help your customers. This is, these are the gifts that God gave me in order to be in harmony and so that you will enjoy me as a good employee. There's nothing in there that says, and if I don't get a raise in two years, I'm out of here. It just says, that's, I have all these qualities that I think would be very useful to you. Chuck Chamberlain talked about that in his book. And then they see these new pair of glasses. You just become interested in service, even in business. And his business succeeded beyond anything he had ever done when he followed traditional business practices of looking out for yourself. That is living the spiritual life. He suddenly took it. It was, it was a theory, and then he put it into practice in his business. He put it into practice. So we start putting it into practice. We start trying it out. 
You got somebody you can't stand. Pretend you love them. What a joke that is. The guy's still a jerk. We, we, we have no idea how powerful this gift is that we got our hands on. I tell this story a lot. My uh, parents were having their 50th wedding anniversary my, up in Connecticut. My sister was planning it. She had about 25 years, 20 years in AA then. And she was going over the guest list. And I'm, and I'm going, oh, good. Oh, he's coming down. Oh, yeah. And then Uncle John. And I went, oh, Sue, no, no. Is there any way we could just not let him know? I mean, the guy's so abrasive. He's so just, you know, it's just, it's, it, he just ruins the whole thing. He's just so, so out of it. And she said, he's only like that when you're around. We love him. He's great. And I went, what? And if she hadn't been in AA 20 years or whatever it was, I don't know if I would have said, gee, I wonder if I'm wrong. And so I just took her at her word. And when I saw him, I ran up and said, Uncle John, I'm so glad. I'm God, I'm so glad you came here. I'm so glad. I think he was just nonplussed that I was talking like this. And he gave me a big hug and we were best like friends. That's putting it into practice. It is overcoming your own judgment and following a higher level of guidance. Overcoming your own judgment and following a higher level of guidance. And so, I know there's a lot of new people sitting in the room here, and this may sound high level and altruistic and all this, but it's intensely practical. The spiritual life is really practical. It saves so much energy that we waste worrying and judging and finagling and planning and all these things. And we can just simply let go of all of that and allow it to happen. It is the, one of the greatest tools that human beings can have. And it all begins when we get to the end of this journey and make that surrender. The deeper the surrender, the happier program's going to be. So you want, even if you've been around a while, go back and look at that first step and make sure you don't have any little hidden things that yeah, I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm not quite as bad as the rest of them. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic, but I sure don't need God to get sober. That's true. You might be able to stay sober being carried around by the spirituality of the other people. But you'll never have what they have on your own. You can settle for as much perfection as will get you by. What I call AA purgatory <laughs> are people that are sober and semi-miserable. What a terrible lot to be in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Stop talking about all that God and spiritual stuff. This is a real damn world, for Christ's sake. you got to work. you got to... Yeah, I'm getting my 25-year trip tonight. Yeah. I'm still hanging in here. It's a, it's a sad. It's very sad. And we could all be there. This is not picking on anybody. I could be there next year. If I ever fell for the illusion that I am better than I was when I got here. I am only being lifted. I am not doing it myself. I am not stronger than I was in my first week. I have tapped into a strength beyond my own. And that strength deserves all the credit for everything that I have today. And if I start, my ego loves to tell me that you are really not the same person. You're much stronger. You're much stronger. You you know, and, and, and my ego even has a prayer. When it, now, when your ego comes up with a prayer, you better watch out. Because, and the prayer is something like this. You get down here and you say, God, imagine the ego praying to God, talking to God. God, we want to thank you for what you have done. You've taken this broken man, this hopeless person, and raised him up so that his family took him back. He's now accepted in society. He sleeps well at night. He's at peace with himself. We thank you so much for bringing us to a place where we no longer need you. Bye. Can you relate to that? It's called spiritual pride. Thank you, God, for putting me in a place where I no longer need you. This is going to be a bad ending. Because we're going to act on that. And hopefully our friends will see it and they will call us on it and they will prevent us from having the crash <laughs> to start this thing over again. Um, I think the last thing I'll talk about, you could, this type of topic you could just talk about every spiritual wrinkle in the AA program. I have been a fan of the, just a few paragraphs in the 10th step in the 12 and 12s for years. And it's the part that starts with the spiritual axiom. Now, I remember reading that and going, it says, if something disturbs me, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with me. So some jerk comes up, behaves just terribly. There's something wrong with me. What the hell is that? I'm sitting here minding my own business. Some jerk comes up. Gets me all bent out of shape. And there's something wrong with me. I remember saying to my sponsor, what's wrong with me? He said, you're disturbed. And I went, oh, yeah. Well, that's what's wrong with you. 
Being disturbed is terrible. It's awful. You don't want to be disturbed. Disturbed is... And then he went on to explain that if spirituality were a business, the people who were least disturbed would get the most money. Well, what if that was the case? Okay, folks, at work today, whoever goes through the day least disturbed gets a bonus. (laughs) Boy, I'm going to just be Mr. Undisturbed today because I'm going to get that bonus. And the guy next to me said, they don't give bonus to assholes. And there went my chance of getting the bonus. <laughs> so how am I going to get the bonus? How can I possibly pull this off? That's what's in there. This, this is the game plan. The 10th step I call living a day at a time. So if you're going to implement this spiritual program. It's going to be done moment by moment. And it's divided into four parts, and it's very simple. It's all laid out in the book. And the first one is self-restraint. Self-restraint. So I get up in the morning, I pray for self-restraint, which is, I be granted spiritually a cushion between events happening and me reacting to them. So the guy says this. They don't get bonuses. And instead of, I don't do anything. I'm just breathing. I'm not doing anything. So now I'm allowed to go to the second part. Honest analysis of what is wrong. Very often that involves calling Someone else. And I have friends, and we have this little signal, and the signal is, can I run something by you? And even if they're at work, it's going to take 45 seconds. And they go, yeah. I say, well, I'm here. I'm trying to enter the undisturbed contest. And (laughs) and the guy next to me says, well, you know, and... um, my advisor says, that's it? You didn't say? I said, I didn't say anything. I just, you know, he just turned and said that to me. He said, well, then forgive him. I'm going, why? <laughs> because if you do, you'll be undisturbed. And then you can win the bonus. Oh. Okay. Try to understand him. Isn't he going through a divorce? Yeah. Isn't he got some illness or something? Yeah. Why don't we let him off the hook on that? Okay. So that's three. Now, sometimes we're not the innocent victims. Sometimes we may have contributed to the disruption at the office. Like the boss walks in and says, Mary, in front of everyone, this is the worst memo I've ever read. Start over. 
and go back. And now you are you're losing the contest. You call on the phone. Hey, I'm trying to win the undisturbed contest. And the boss came out and did this memo. And, well, read the memo to me. Okay. That memo sucks. You've got to go into your boss and say, I'm sorry I wrote such a lousy memo. I apologize for that. That was shoddy work. I'm going to do much better. So we either forgive or we make an amend. And we end up undisturbed. That's not a bad game plan. Because undisturbed is the only place that God exists. And if we want to have this life, that's where we have to try and spend our time. I'm at the end of the hour. I want to thank everybody for coming. It's been an honor to share with you.